Hello. Before the podcast starts, I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who has been listening this year. Thank you to all the guests I've had on the podcast and thanks for sharing your stories. It means a lot. We've covered so many topics this year, anorexia, alcohol, uh, youth suicide. There's just too many to mention, but thank you so much to all those guests who have come on and thank you to everyone who's listened. It's been really good to progress this year and have such a big audience and to really enjoy bringing you some great guests, great podcasts, and uh, thank you to to everybody who sent uh, emails and uh, messages and following me on Instagram. When we share our stories, we help each other learn, and that's a great thing. So every time I do a podcast, I'm hoping that there's something that you take away from that that makes you feel a little bit better about yourself or a different way of thinking. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends how good it is. You can contact me through the website, lifechangesyou.com.au or at Instagram on life underscore changes you underscore podcast. And on Instagram, you'll get daily updates that are positive. Uh, Lots of people are following on there, over 100,000. So now I'm taking a break now until January 23rd when a new year of amazing guests will start. There are so many good podcasts coming in January uh, there's the uh, there's one about a cult that was around in Australia about 20 years ago. There's also the Child uh, Resource Coalition, uh, which helps track down predators and uh, saves children. So that's a really important one to listen to. Also, Chad's coming back and Gareth is coming back and, and there's Soul Healers coming back. There's a lot of people who have been on this year who you've really liked and they're all coming back early next year. So anyway, until I come back on the 23rd with a new year of podcasts, take care of each other and yourselves. Enjoy the time away. I might play some repeats over the holiday period. So keep an eye out. Otherwise, I'll see you back on January 23rd. So now... Enjoy the next podcast. This is the last one for this year, and it's with Isaac, who has been quite a fan favourite. Hello, and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. Lots of things happening around the world and uh, lots of things happening on the podcast. Lots of people following, lots of people enjoying it. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends about it. Please subscribe. Uh, Leave me a review. That would be fantastic. I don't know where you're listening. If you're listening on Apple, leave a review. If you're listening on Google, a review. If you're listening on Spotify, a review. Wherever you're listening, because we're everywhere at the moment. Um, Look, we had Isaac Lee here quite a while ago. I think it's about four or five weeks ago. Um, And we spoke about narcissistic personality disorder. And today he's back. And today we're going to talk about borderline personality disorder. And so welcome, Isaac Lee. Isaac, not Isaac Lee, just Isaac. Yeah, well, you can call me Isaac Lee if you want to. I don't mind. That's Uh, right. Yep. So you've been keeping well? Yeah, I've been keeping well. Been keeping well, uh, you know, like uh, we're, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about BPD, borderline personality disorder. Okay, uh, so give us an overview of what it's about. Wow. Uh, Am I right in saying that borderline personality disorder is more geared towards females or is it equal in men as well? Uh, yeah, well, it's more highly uh, diagnosed in women. 
Right. Uh, and you've got an increased probability of being diagnosed with it if your mother has BPD. Okay. So if you are female and your mum has BPD, then you've got an increased probability of, of having those criteria. Right. Although there's, there's some debate about whether we should even have borderline personality disorder as a, uh, as a diagnosis at all. There is certainly a, a contingent of people that uh, believe that it is probably better to just refer to it as complex trauma. Right. Uh, certain traits. When it comes to like a diagnosis of BPD or a diagnosis in general, uh, you know, there, there are some benefits to diagnosing uh, in terms of just having some clarity. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's a couple of big reasons why I diagnose people. First one is funding. So uh, in the States, you can't have, uh, you know, your insurance isn't going to pay out uh, for anything unless there's a diagnosis attached to it. Yeah. So that's uh, the number one reason why the DSM actually first came out was, uh, was actually linked with insurance. Uh, in uh, Australia, like our Medicare system, uh, typically we have to have a diagnosis that we're working towards uh, because we want to, what we really want to do is we want to look at the traits of an individual that an individual has, how they're presenting, and then be able to say, well, which intervention is the right one to do? Should yeah, we be yeah. doing CBT? Should we be doing ACT? Should we be doing empathic confrontation? Should we be, uh, you know, doing hypnosis or hypnotherapy? Like, like what are the things that we should be doing? Uh, and then based on the actual diagnosis, then we're going to be informed uh, of, of the treatment that is appropriate. Yep. We're going to be caught, caught away. We're talking about borderline and now we're going to talk about uh, diagnosis again and why we even do it. Uh, so when it comes to BPD and, and a diagnosis, there are some really beneficial things in terms of uh, having a bit more clarity, having a bit more understanding, being able to express, express what's going on for you to other people and shortcut some information. Uh, but there's also some downsides in that people tend to make some snap judgments when it comes to BPD. Uh, like, uh, oh, you've got borderline. Well, you know, like I've had clients that have a diagnosis of borderline on their file and they've gone into the emergency room with something that really requires urgent attention. Yeah. And the nurse has seen BPD at the front of the chat and has just said, yeah, you can sit down and wait for six hours. And uh-huh. No one's going to talk to you because... Uh, they think that they're, uh, this person's got borderline, so they're not. Their complaint isn't real. Yeah, uh, and uh, or they've got borderline, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we're just not even going to try to help. And so there, there has been some some downsides. Most of my clients that come in with a diagnosis of BPD have some pretty horrific stories about interacting with the medical profession. Yeah, uh, and it's something that I think that we all actually need to do a better job of in terms of having a better understanding of BPD, what it works, there's certainly some things that we can do that improve functioning, improve uh, our, you know, our ability to regulate, uh, improve relationships. And so, yeah, there are some excellent interventions out there. And I just wanted to kind of preface that. Hang on a second, right? We can do some stuff, right? Well, there, there is some good stuff out there when it comes to BPD. Uh, and this is before we've even get into what BPD is and, and how it actually applies. I'm mindful that I talk heaps, right? So that's, that's okay. in. No, 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 because, look, I mean, I've learned these things, um, but I haven't learned them to the extent that you've learned them. So my knowledge is always, well, not always, is usually somewhat lesser to you. So I have a general knowledge on a lot of different subjects. Um, and that's why I get you guys to come on who are the experts and people to 
tell me what topic they want to talk about because then I can listen to that and I can grab questions as we're going. So I, I just feel that's better for the people listening at home. It's as though we're all learning together yeah. uh, rather yeah. than me have a stock standard list of questions and I go, okay, Isaac, can you tell me why this happens in borderline personality disorder? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. proceed. Cool. All right. Let's let's break down the different criteria. Okay. Yeah. So a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affect, and uh, marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following nine. So there are nine different criteria. If we tick off five of them, uh, then you might meet the criteria for a diagnosis of BPD. Now, when you've got any five of these nine lead to a, a diagnosis that's a lot of different combinations so in terms of presentation of borderline you might get the diagnosis and you might have 10 people in the room that have the same diagnosis uh, but not one of them have uh, the exact same five uh, wow i didn't so, realize that so there's five traits out of the 10 traits did you say five, five out of nine Five out of nine. So, and if you had 10 people in a room, they could all have different parts of those traits and none of them display the same way. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. uh, It's actually a pretty large number um, to, yeah. That's a lot of different combinations of things that people have. Lots of different combinations. And all of that just fits under the one umbrella of, yeah, that's why I say that there are some issues with the diagnosis of, of BPD and it might be more appropriate to, to say that it's complex trauma with a certain number of presentations. Yeah. But we we do find it easy to, uh, to, to make this diagnosis in order to convey some information pretty quickly or to work out what kind of things that we, you know, as psychs or as therapists to be aware of in terms of different interventions. Yeah. So it shortcuts a bunch of information. Uh, but also there are some pretty, yeah, there, there, there are some issues with making assumptions based on those, based on so just, just what, purely. What were some diagnosis. of the traits? All right, let's go through them. Uh, first one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Uh, so they're going to just some pretty extreme efforts to not feel abandoned. Now, yeah. this might be calling an excessive amount of times to find out what's going on. Uh, you're nodding your head there. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, um, before we started this, I'll just let the uh, listeners at home into this. I did have a girlfriend when I was in my 20s who had borderline personality disorder. And the hardest thing I found, and I was just saying to Isaac, was that if she texted me or called me and I didn't get back to her within about 20 seconds, uh, the world was ending. And look, that might not be the same for everybody, but it was obsessive and I would get 10, 20 calls and then her mum would call me to see why I wasn't calling her back. And I'd say, look, I'm at work. I can't call back now. Um, so, yes, so that's why when um, Isaac just said that, I was nodding my head because I remember the amount of phone calls I would get in half an hour. Yeah, so it's a real frantic effort Yeah, to avoid that real or imagined abandonment. It's certainly like a, a, a key characteristic that we say. All right, I'm going to run through these and then we'll kind of discuss yeah, yeah, holistically yeah. what it's about. All right, so a pervasive pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterised by alternating between extremes of idealisation and devaluation. Oh, let's translate that. This person in my life, they're the best ever. They're such an amazing friend. I can't believe how great they are. Right? Like this person is so amazing. I'm going to hang out with them on the weekend. I'm going to hang out with them every night. They're the worst. Next week, they're the worst. 
I can't believe that they're the person. That, that was the it. other thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So extremes of idealization and devaluation. Yeah. So extre- like basically putting people on a pedestal. And then when they come off that pedestal, then they're the worst ever. So either they're the best or the worst. I like to point this out to people because it's something that we all kind of tend to do in different ways. So if you're at a, a, a footy match, right, you might, um, you might say, oh, yeah, my team is the best and the other team is the worst. Yeah. Uh, so it's something that we all kind of tend to do in different yeah. ways. We have some, uh, some dichotomous thinking, which is a characteristic of BPD. So black and white, either one or the other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we make some snap judgments in different kind of situations. Uh, it's just that they can be pretty extreme with people with borderline personality disorder or people with these kind of characteristics are just saying, okay, yeah, this is something that you do in a variety of contexts that is having a, a potentially a negative impact on your life or negative impact on your relationships. Let's run through these. Identity disturbance, marked and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. So just difficulties with like, oh, you know, am I somebody that uh, that likes this particular thing? Or am I am I a nerd? Or am I, uh, you know, like a jock? Like what is going on in terms of like an unstable sense of self? So maybe when they're hanging out with certain people, then they, they take on those characteristics of that group to a point where they just don't feel comfortable in themselves. Impulsivity. Uh, number four is impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. For example, spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. So impulsivity. Yeah. I feel like doing something, suddenly uh, they're doing that thing, even, yeah. uh, even though they haven't really thought out the consequences of that. Yeah. So just a, an increased probability of that happening. Uh, number five, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or self-mutilating behavior. So increased threats of suicide. Increase, you know, like, I, you know, like I'm going to kill myself, or uh, increased probability of engaging in suicidal behaviour. So they're more likely to uh, find themselves in in positions where they're threatening to kill themselves, or have done something that that might result in death. And what trait are we up to now? Are we up to number five? Number five, yeah. Because if you had those five traits, I mean, they're five pretty amazing things to have in having to deal with it like they're I mean I, I can't imagine having those five things running around in my head and having to try and deal with that on a daily basis super difficult yeah uh, and and because of these extremes that happen so uh frantic efforts to avoid that uh abandonment means yeah. that you do call that person 20 times yeah and guess what when you call somebody 20 times there's a higher probability of them actually abandoning you because that's excessive. Or even if they don't abandon you, just like going, I'm not talking to this person for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, like, they, they often create these self-fulfilling prophecies yeah. as a result of, of their behaviour. I fear that this person is going to leave me, so I'm going to do all these things to make sure that they leave me. Or yeah. I feel like they're going to leave me. I don't want to feel like I'm going to be abandoned. So guess what? I'm going to abandon them first. Yeah, yeah. This is this uh, unstable and intense interpersonal relationships. Yeah. All right, give us the next four. Okay. Uh, Number six, affective instability due to marked reactivity of mood. So the degree to which they would get upset with something is just maybe disproportionate. The example that I often give to people is, okay, let's say that you're at work, right, and uh, you brought a packet of chips in for your lunch. Right. And you put the packet of chips on top of the fridge. You're going to eat it for lunch. And you come in 
uh, at your lunch break and someone's eating your packet of chips, you're going to be pretty upset, pretty annoyed. Yeah. You might even complain about it. Oh, who stole my chips? Yeah. Potentially somebody with borderline personality disorder, they have that uh, disproportionate response. They might come in and say that somebody's t- taken their packet of chips and it's like somebody's stolen their car. Right. So the intensity of that, you know, like yeah, you caused this, this, this massive disturbance to my life. You've taken thousands of dollars from me. Now I can't do the things that I want to do. I can't, yeah. how am I going to get home? This is a real problem. I need to f- solve this problem because it's going to really negatively impact my life. And so I'm going to now go to every single desk and find out who stole my chips. Yeah. Um, I'm going to demand, like, uh, you know, I'm going to send out a company-wide email that, that says I'm quitting because somebody stole my chips. And so, you know, they end up resigning from their job, They, uh, you know, and that causes some significant impact on their ability to pay rent. And, and so we, we see this kind of play out in some pretty negative ways because of the impulsivity mixed with that emotional dysregulation. Yeah. All right, I'm going to come back to that one because I think it's super important. Seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. Eight, is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. You're going to mix that with the affective instability and uh, the intense interpersonal relationships. You can see how that can be an interesting cocktail. Uh, And then nine is transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. You'll translate that one. So combined with that frantic efforts to avoid real imagined abandonment, so paranoid ideation, like paranoid about the situation, paranoid about people leaving them, or like just getting into their head something that's not true, but like is like feels very true. Uh, and then we might combine that with uh, a, a significant amount of stress uh, and dissociative symptoms. So that's when they kind of zone out. Uh, they're just like, no, nah, all of this stuff is too much. I'm not really going to be here. I'm not going to really be present. Uh, and so, yeah, when that happens, it's kind of like they're there, but they're not there. It's like they're, it's often described as, it's like I'm there, but uh, I'm not in control of my body. It's like me watching myself in that situation. Uh, So before you said that for this sort of diagnosis, you had to have five of the nine traits. Is there people that have all nine traits? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Typically, like a lot of the times the people that I see uh, are either eight or nine. Wow. So there's a lot of That's quite a heavy load, isn't it, for someone to carry and to move, manoeuvre through life with. Yeah. It can be really difficult because- You know, you're you're worried about abandonment, yeah, constantly. But then you also have this affective instability, so you get really upset. You have difficulty controlling your anger, uh, and then you've got this risk-taking behavior. So you end up, you know, very easily destroying friendships because uh, of something that's happened, where somebody's you know eating some of your chips without asking, or maybe somebody didn't answer the phone. Or maybe, you know, you ask somebody to come to the movies and they said yes, but then they have to cancel. Uh, yeah. So um, you've got all these different traits uh, and that's without having any uh, impact from the environment around you or family life contributing to what you're already dealing with. Yeah. So typically, you know, like if we're going to you know, come down to complex trauma uh, as, as this, as I mentioned at the start, one of the reasons why there's some advocation for the label of complex trauma is that typically uh, the childhood of people with BPD can be met with a lot of instability. Yeah. Uh, so maybe your mum has BPD or 
maybe you you experienced a lot of trauma when you were a kid in yeah. terms of uh, the people that were looking after you. Maybe you were abandoned uh, when you were young. Maybe you had a, a parent pass away. Maybe you experienced abuse in one way, shape or form. And so these different experiences, you know, like when you've got somebody who literally has been abandoned by their caregiver, by their person that's meant to love, care and, and support them, then when they find themselves in a position where somebody is being loving, caring and supporting, freaks them the fuck out. Yeah. Right? You're going to leave me just like mum did. Yeah. You're going to leave me just like I was left when I was a kid. And so when that happens, then in a defense mechanism, they might dissolve that situation. They might avoid that abandonment by abandoning that person. They might avoid feeling vulnerable by making sure that uh, they're always in control of the situation. And as soon as they feel loved, cared or supported for, that's when we, we might see some instability. Not all the time, but this is something that does, that does happen yeah. uh, with, uh, with different people. So borderline can be pretty intense for the individual and for the people around them because they tend to be quite empathic. Right? So people with borderline, they tend to be uh, quite aware of other people. Uh, and so when these triggers aren't happening, they're great. They can be excellent friends. They go to, you know, they got a lot of effort to make sure that they're not abandoned, which often turns them into very good friends in terms of uh, maybe a bit excessive sometimes. But, uh, yeah, they can be excellent people, right? some of my favourite people both in my personal life and, uh, you know, my clients would have this diagnosis of BPD. So there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of positive stuff there. Uh, it's just that when these things get triggered, when these things happen, then it can be difficult for the people around them. It can be really difficult for that individual as well. And how many, like, what are the statistics of people having um, borderline personality disorder? Is it um, high in the community or is it something that's here and there? Dan, I'm really hoping that this is a, a setup question where you're asking the question because you have the answer. Because <laughs> uh, I don't have the answer to this one, mate. So go on, go on, uh, educate me, mate. Like, what's happening? Okay, well, I'll give them to you. So it's between one and four percent of the population are affected by BPD at some time in life. Late adolescence or early adulthood is when symptoms usually first appear. Women are more likely to be diagnosed. BPD's causes are not yet fully understood, but are likely to be a combination of biological and life factors. Most people with BPD recover after diagnosis and effective treatment, which, as we said, I think in the narcissistic uh, podcast we did the other month, it's not so much recovering. I think it's more learning to live with the symptoms and the diagnosis you've got and being able to evaluate yourself and be able to manage them rather than recovering. I've said this a lot of times before with social anxiety disorder. To me, social anxiety disorder is not a disorder because we all have some form of social anxiety. I know if I'm going out for dinner with someone, I will probably text them before I go in the restaurant and say, hey, are you here yet? And if they say no, I might hang outside for a little bit until they turn up or they say, I'm a minute away, then I'll go and grab the table because I don't like sitting in a restaurant on my own at a table. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Some people would say, well, that's social anxiety disorder because you don't feel comfortable sitting on your own. I see it as, look, I just don't want to sit on a table on my own. So I I have a real problem with social anxiety disorder of where it actually is. I know there are some people with extreme social anxiety disorder, but I also think it's sort of, it's been put into an umbrella term so that we all have anxiety. 
And, and that's okay because we all have a minimal or a lot bigger, whatever type of anxiety you have, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, anxiety is great. Like we all need to have some amount of anxiety, otherwise uh, we'd be in a, a, a lot of strife. And I thought you were just about to go into your saber-toothed tiger story. Uh, this podcast is not long enough. You'll, you'll have me trapped here forever. Let's just, I'm going to bring it back to this uh, borderline. Uh, yeah. in, terms of, uh, in terms of actually dealing with this, you know, like effective treatment, excellent. Uh, age is another way that, uh, you know, like just the number of years people, even without treatment, uh, will actually want to have their own coping strategies. And so we, we see a reduction in the intensity that just happens with age. Yeah. Um, that being said, actually going to therapy and learning some emotional regulation techniques is probably the number one thing that I would suggest for people. Because of the intensity of the feelings that they have, so that feeling of abandonment or that feeling of anger or that feeling of frustration, because of the intensity that's going on there, uh, that's when we see some maybe some reckless behavior. So learning to be able to regulate your emotional state is uh, it's just so important. Yeah. Uh, and we can do some simple ones like some breathing techniques, noticing how many things are in the room, being able to name things, a lot of dialectical behavior therapy techniques. Uh, what is dialectical therapy? Dialectical behavior therapy, DBT. Uh, it is a, a wave of cognitive behavior therapy under that big umbrella it looks particularly at uh, emotional regulation yep. uh, and uh, really it was actually designed by Marshall Linehan uh, as a treatment for BPD uh, because she found that a lot of BPD uh, people were actually dropping out of therapy uh, very early yeah uh, and that was typically because we do a cognitive technique and we say hey you want to think about this differently well then they go I oh, you're trying to tell me that I'm wrong, that my yeah, way yeah, of thinking yeah. is wrong. Screw you, I'm out of here. Do we have time to quickly go through some communication techniques with people with borderline personality disorder, Dan? Is that- How much time would you like? Maybe, uh, maybe I'll try to run through it in five minutes. What do you reckon? Five minutes is brilliant. Six at the most. Six at the most. All right, cool. So uh, I want to tell somebody about set communication. This is something that I use uh, in my personal life as well as my professional life. Uh, yep. I teach people about this. I try to get my partner to use this. I try to use it myself with people. Uh, and I use it with uh, particularly with borderline, but also uh, just in any relationship. I think it's super important. So even if you don't have BPD or you don't uh, interact with people with BPD, I think this is something that try this skill. It's a good one. All right. All right. So set communication. Uh, the S stands for supportive. The E stands for empathic. And then the T stands for truth. So we really want to get to the, the, the truth statement. So the truth statement might be, you calling me 20 times is inappropriate, right? Yeah. Uh, now, if you've got somebody that is uh, quick to be emotionally dysregulated or quick to feelings of abandonment, uh, then, you know, trying to tell somebody that you shouldn't call me 20 times is likely to trigger some of these yeah. uh, uh, insecurities or these dysregulations. So what we want to do is we want to try to navigate around that by starting with a supportive statement, then an empathic statement, uh, and then with the, we, then we go to the truth. So the supportive statement is an I statement, and it is really communicating how much you care about this, this person. So, Dan, I want to tell you, I really care about you. you know, like, uh, I think that you're a great friend. Uh, you're a great person to hang out with. 
Uh, and it's really, you know, like, I just want to tell you how much I, I care about what you think of me and, and our relationship, because it's, it's something that's important to me in my life. Right, so it's an I statement. Yeah. Then we'll go to an empathic statement. So the empathic statement is a you statement. So I would then say, you know, like, I know that, uh, you know, like you've been really stressed out with everything that's been happening. And when you've messaged me and I haven't messaged back, it's really stressful for you. And I get that, like, you know, it makes you feel like I haven't been caring about you or I haven't been listening to you. And so that must be incredibly stressful for you to, to live with that, like, you know, situation. Like, I just, like, I just want to let you know that, you know, like I, I certainly acknowledge and understand that. Then we get to the truth, true statement. But I also want to mention that, like, when you call me that many times when I'm at work or have this expectation, that it actually makes me feel like, you know, you don't trust me and it makes me feel like I'm in this bad position. Uh, and and I, I think that uh, it would be good if we can maybe stop this or, or, or just reduce it some amount just so that I feel a little bit better about the situation and we can, uh, we can get brilliant. this together. Easier said by somebody who has practiced it a lot. Uh, than, than done. So what I, what I stress to people when you're learning set communications uh, is practice. Yeah. I actually get people to write it down because we want to jump straight to that true statement, right? We want to tell them, yeah, yeah. boy, you messaged yeah. me 20 times. It's bloody ridiculous. Knock it off, right? And that might be true. But when you've got somebody with BPD, if they feel like, hey, you don't care about me, then they're going to reject whatever whatever it is that you're saying. If you've got somebody with BPD and they feel like you don't understand me, then they're going to reject the true statement that you're saying. So if we can navigate through that by starting with a supportive statement to really communicate, hey, I actually really do care about you. And then we jump into an empathic statement. You know, I really do understand what you're experiencing and that that must, must be really difficult. And then we get to the true statement means that we're going to have that increased probability. Yeah, no, of, that's uh, really good because, yeah, you know, and, and I, I can see it from, you know, with the truth statement, yeah, people would go, oh, look, I'm just over this, stop calling me. But when you put it in the two other terms, first of supportive and then empathic, it does, it changes the flow. It, it, it acknowledges yourself, it acknowledges them, and then you're still getting to the truth, but in a way that is more easily digestible, I guess. Uh, and it's not so confrontational. I certainly think that this is super important with borderline, but I actually just use this in a bunch of my relationships, both friends uh, and family members uh, with my partner, uh, because it's super nice. Like when you want to tell somebody uh, something that you would like them to change, to just communicate, hey, I just really care about you and I understand that it's stressful for you at the moment. And okay. if you do this thing to so me, that next great. time I'm chatting to you, if I hear you say, look, I really care about you and I, I understand I'm going to go, right, I know what he's talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> right, what's that true statement? It's like, coming. I know it's on its way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's really cool. Like, uh, uh, particularly in, uh, with a lot of my couples work, uh, we, we use this set communication. And I actually have a little uh, sheet that I, I hand out to people where it's just uh, the SET supportive statement, yeah. an example. And I get them to write it down. So we actually practice writing it down before you actually go to them. Um, so the true statement might be, uh, I would like you to yeah. uh, do more vacuuming. So supportive statement, I really care about you. Like, I really like how much work you do around the house. Empathic statement, uh, you know, it must be really stressful with work and everything going on at the moment. True statement, you know, it, it would be really nice if you uh, did the vacuuming or it would be yeah. really nice if you took out the trash. Yeah. yeah Rather yeah. than, oi, take out the trash. 
Because then, you know, oh, you don't really get, care about me. You don't understand what I'm going through. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to take out the trash. You can take out the trash. So, like, if we can kind of navigate around those, you know, like we all have these borderline traits in different situations. And, uh, you know, like we yeah, all yeah, want to yeah. feel like people care about us and that they understand us. And so set communication is a great Beautiful. Look, you've, uh, you've explained borderline personality disorder so well this week, and it's been good to have another conversation with you. It's... Uh, it's great to get some clarity on these things because, um, as I said to you before we started uh, with the last one we did um, about a month ago, uh, I think these are important because a lot of people in the community have heard of these things, but they don't actually understand what they are or why they're important to understand or what the ramifications are for that person so that we can be more compassionate and more empathetic towards people when we hear, I've got borderline personality disorder or well, I, I don't know about narcissistic personality disorder. I don't know if you need to be more empathetic towards people there, whether you need to, you know, refer them on to someone. But it, it's good for everybody to understand that these mental health issues are not easy for the person, but with a little bit of empathy from us, it can make a huge difference to them. I mean, you've seen my stuff mm -hmm. out there on social media. It's all about stop the stigma. Let's learn to work together. Let's learn to not have the stigma of uh, mental health because mental health is the same as physical health. If we look at it all the same, then we don't fear it. We just work with it and we adapt and it becomes the normal thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Increase empathy uh, and increase compassion. Empathy. They're the two is, words uh, I love. I'd love everybody to use them every day, empathy and compassion, and we'll go a long way. Thank you so much, uh, yeah. Isaac. Another great podcast. I don't know what we'll come up with next time, but you always come up with some good ideas and things that I'm interested in. Oh, thanks for having me. It's something that I'm really passionate about, uh, borderline personality disorder, and just personality disorders in general, and you know, helping people, obviously. But, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm... I, I want to say thank you to you for having me on the podcast and uh, giving me the opportunity to share this information with people. Uh, and I also want to say thank you to the listeners because, you know, this is something that is, I think it's just super important for the world to have more information about. And so, you know, we've got these people listening to this podcast, wanting to know more information about it, wanting to know better ways to help people around them or better ways that they can interact with other people. And it just shows people caring about these things and trying to make the world a better place. And that's awesome. So thanks very much for listening. That's, and, that's and, and brilliant, to make Isaac. The world Look, uh, yeah, right. I think uh, the more people that listen and I think uh, uh, I, I think the conversations I try and have with people, I don't like to have it in a clinical sort of setting or um, is it vocabulary? Uh, I like to have it more normalised as possible so more people can understand it, more people can take something from it. And I think with you, you always put it in a way that is easily uh, absorbed because it's funny, it's informative, and that's you're the sort of people I like having on here because you make it easy for everybody to understand. I think what I was going to start with, which I forgot, was I think up until I'd say the last 10, 20 years ago, psychology, psychiatry, counselling was all seemed to be look, sort of cloaked and you didn't learn much about it unless you read a self-help book. You might have a bit in it unless you bought a psychology book. What I want from this is that everybody gets the information, everybody understands it, and then it becomes normal. Great to have you on again. We will catch up again, I guess, in another few months, and uh, we'll look at some new topics then. Sounds good. See you soon. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. 
If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.